like to uh, read from Luke chapter 1, 1 through 4. And while you're turning, turning there, if I could just share a little bit about myself and, and why I'm so excited to preach from this text. I grew up in, uh, in a neighborhood of Chicago um, called Humble Park. I grew up with a believing mother and a believing grandmother who raised me and my four brothers in the church. Uh, we went to Sunday school every Sunday. We went to Sunday evening service. Um, we were in church on Wednesday night for prayer. Our, our, our mother read the scriptures to us. I had so much gospel truth instilled into my heart, and, and I thank God for that. But for me, I had a difficulty with this one line of the song that we just sang, His Mercy is More. It said, What patience would wait as we constantly roam? What father so tender is calling us home? He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Obviously, I didn't know this song back then, but this idea of this father who is merciful and tender. Even though the midst of our sins being many, his mercy is more. It was, a, it was an idea, a concept that I had difficulty understanding. Because in my home, my father wasn't this. And so when I would hear about God being this merciful God, this gracious God who's, who's quick to forgive and quick to welcome all I could think of was my father, who was very demanding. Um, and we could never do enough to please him. And our father didn't desire to, to be intimate with us, to spend time with us. Um, our father was very distant. And it was at age 12 that an older man in the church, a guy by the name of Paul Terry, who was a carpenter by trade, uh, took me under his wing. And every Friday night, he would take me to a, a, a basketball court. And as he would uh, play basketball with, with some older guys and take a time out and share the gospel in the middle of the game, I saw his love and his concern for, for these young men to know the gospel, to know Jesus Christ. On Saturdays, he would do odd jobs for, for older people in the church. And he would pick me up at 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning and take me and paint someone's wall, move someone's furniture. And the whole time we're working, and he's teaching me work ethic, and he's just wanting to spend time with me. The scriptures, the word of God are coming off of his lips. Not even ever a formal Bible study, but it was just, it was, it was clear to see that this was a man who loved the word of God uh, and loved to proclaim it. On Sundays after church, he would invite me over to his house for dinner, and I sat down at a dinner table for the first time with a family and saw a husband and wife love each other uh, because of the love of Christ. It was through him taking me under his wing for those couple years from age 12 to 14 that now all the knowledge and all the understanding that I had of the gospel and of God being his gracious father started to sink in because I could now see it fleshed out before me. And God used his life to transform mine. And I think we're going to see today Luke's heart uh, for this individual named Theophilus and how he wanted to make sure that he was certain of the things that he had been taught and, and how he committed his life uh, to this task. So if we can read Luke 1, 
1 through 4. It says, Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us. Just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. It also seemed good to me since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first to write to you an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. Will you pray with me? Father, I, I know that your word will not return void, but will accomplish its purpose for which it was sent. And so, Lord God, will you, through the power of your spirit, Lord God, Allow your truth, Lord God, to sink into our hearts. Lord God, that we may love you deeper. And Lord God, that we might be your ministers uh, here on this earth. Till the day that Jesus Christ comes home for us, we pray that we might be found faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The title of my sermon is Leaving a Legacy. Um, this is what God has called each one of us to do, right? Before Jesus Christ ascended back to the right hand of the Father, He commanded His twelve disciples, people who were fishermen, uh, people who were tax collectors, uh, He called them to go and make disciples, to go and reproduce what had happened to them. And here in this passage, we see in verse 1 and 2, this idea of Luke receiving this gospel message. I think sometimes when we think of Luke, we just, sometimes we associate with him being one of the twelve disciples. Um, but we have to remember that, that he wasn't. He, he, he didn't hear, he never met Jesus as far as we know. He never heard any of his teachings. He never saw his miracles. Um, and he, he says in, in verse one that many others, many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the events that have been fulfilled among us, right? So other people have passed this gospel message on to him. He would not be walking in the faith unless others had done so. Verse 2, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. So others were eyewitnesses. They saw the teachings. They heard the teachings. They saw the miracles. They walked with Jesus. And and they passed it on down to Luke and others. Luke, I'm sure we know this already, Many would, would, would guess that, that he was a Gentile, uh, that he was not uh, born into the lineage of, of Abraham. Um, he was a, a Gentile, someone who, who was apart from the people of God. And yet he was grafted in to the people of God through the gospel message. Also, we understand in Colossians 4 that he was a physician by trade. He wasn't a church planner. He wasn't a pastor as far as we know. He never preached to hundreds or, or even thousands of people. Uh, he was a doctor, someone who sought to make people physically better. This was his occupation. And again, someone passed the gospel on to him that he would end up writing two books of the Bible. The Gospel of Luke, as we know it called today, and the book of Acts. These two books are the only books written by a Gentile in all of scriptures. These two books have more content 
than any other writer of the New Testament. Even though Paul wrote 13 letters, Luke's two books have more word count than all of Paul's 13 letters. A Gentile. Someone who was not born into the family of God, most likely. Someone who was not, again, a vocational pastor, but someone who was a doctor by trade. Wrote more of the, gospel, more, more of the New Testament than any other author of scriptures. That should give hope to us. Because <laughs> I, I would guess that most of us are not vocational pastors. And, and yet God can use us <laughs> to reach others. To impact others for the kingdom of God. Amen. Obviously God has blessed you with Pastor PJ. And God has gifted him with a lot of knowledge and shepherding the flock of God. But as each one of us are called with this task to make disciples. So a question that I would have is, well, who passed his gospel message on to Luke? Right? Where, where did he first hear of it? If we could skip around a little bit, we'll come back to Luke. But turn real quick to Acts 16 with me, if you can. Acts 16, starting with verse 6. And again, this is the second book that Luke, the doctor, the Gentile doctor, writes. And starting in verse 6 of chapter 16, it says, They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So who are the they? Well, if you look at verse 1, it's talking about Paul along with Timothy. So Paul and Timothy, Luke is writing, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. They wanted to proclaim the gospel there in Asia, and yet the Holy Spirit forbid them to do so. Why would the Holy Spirit forbid them to preach the gospel to a place where the gospel was not yet currently there? Did God not care about the people in Asia? Well, I think we, we know the answer to that. Of course he cares. But right now, the Holy Spirit, God has a different mission for Paul. Look at verse 7. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So Paul's like, okay, well, Asia's not the place right now, but let me go down to Bithynia. And again, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit did not allow them to do so. He stopped them from doing this. Why would the Holy Spirit stop Paul from doing this? Does not God care about the people of Bithynia hearing the gospel message? Well, obviously he does, and the gospel will go there. But right now, God has a different mission for Paul. Verse 8, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. So he, he settles in this place called Troas, this town. And during the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleaded with, with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, Paul we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Did anyone catch, any English majors here, catch the change of tense of the writer there in verse 10? He says, again, Luke says, after he had seen the vision, after Paul had seen the vision, who made efforts to set out for Macedonia? He says, we did. 
And so what happens here is that Paul and Timothy come into Troas after being stopped from going to Asia or Bithynia. They come into Troas, the city, and now Luke begins to join them on this journey. Luke, again, this Gentile doctor. Could it be that the reason why the, or how the Holy Spirit stopped Paul from traveling was that maybe he was having a physical ailment, that he had to go see a doctor, and he comes in contact with Luke, who's a Gentile. Maybe he shares the gospel with him for the first time. Or maybe Luke was already a believer in Christ, and and Paul begins to invest in him to the point where when Paul's getting ready to leave to Macedonia, he invites Luke to come with him. We know that for the next 15 years, Paul's last 15 years of his life, Luke is with him everywhere he goes. To the point that at the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy, Paul says that there's only one person who's with me. And that person is Luke. Luke follows Paul for the last 15 years of his life. And Paul's investing in him, pouring into him, impacting him for the kingdom. We don't know this for sure, that this is what happened. Uh, but again, I think there's some clues in scriptures. One is in 2 Corinthians 12. We don't need to turn there, but you could just write it down and look at it later. Paul talks about this thorn in the flesh that was given to him because of the, the, the image that he saw of the, of the heavens. A thorn in the flesh that was meant to keep him humble, that was meant to keep him grounded. In Acts 23, you could turn there with me. Acts 23, 1 through 5. This is uh, Paul. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience to this day. The high priest Ananias ordered those who were standing next to him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. You are sitting there judging me according to the law, and yet in violation of the law, are you ordering me struck to be struck? Those standing nearby said, Do you dare revile God's high priest? Verse 5, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, replied Paul. For it is written, You must not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Do you catch what's going on here? Paul, in, according to verse 1, is looking straight at the Sanhedrin, the, the ruling uh, Jewish leaders. He's looking straight at them. And he doesn't even realize that who he's talking to is the high priest. Well, how can you not know that this is the high priest? The high priest had a different kind of robe. The high priest was in, in an elevated position. How could he be looking at the high priest and not recognize that it's the high priest? Unless possibly, again, his eyesight was beginning to fail him. Galatians 6.11, Paul writes the book of Galatians to, to, to the believers and he says, see with lar- what large letters I am writing to you. Most often, most of Paul's books, he would have a scribe write the letter to the, the audience that he's writing to. But this time, he wanted the Galatians to know that he was actually doing the writing. That he was not only just speaking the words, but he was actually writing it down with his own hand. And how, what, what kind of... Uh, way does he convince them that he's writing it out with his own hand? See with what large letters I'm writing to you. 
Now, some people would say that's the weight of, of the book of Galatians, and I, I believe that could be true as well. Um, but could it literally be that, again, his eyesight was going out, and so he had to write in larger letters, and, and to convince the Galatians that was him who's actually writing, he uses that as his, his example. Galatians four thirteen through 15, if we could look there as well. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of weakness of the flesh. Again, Acts 16, the passage we read about, he went into Galatia after he couldn't go into Asia. He went to Galatia and before he went down to Troas. So this is probably what he's talking about that time. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of weakness in the flesh. I wanted to go to Asia, but I was sent to you. You did not despise or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial to you. What kind of physical condition was a trial to other people? If I have a weak stomach, it's not affecting anybody else. But if I'm going blind, other people are needing to serve my food and and make my bed and, and lead me places. Could it be again that this is... Evidence that Paul's eyesight was going bad. Look at verse 14. You did not despise or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial to you. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your boasting? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Again, I'm doing some speculation here. But... I, I believe there's clues throughout Scripture that Paul's thorn in the flesh was his eyesight beginning to fail him. And so when he's getting ready to go to Asia, the spirit stopping him was literally that he just couldn't get around anymore. And he realized he needed help. And he goes down into Galatia and, and he tries to preach the gospel to them. And, and, and the Galatians would have plucked out their own eyes and give them to him. And he ends up coming to this town called Troas and, and sits down with a doctor and, and seeks out any help that he could get. And as Luke, this, this, this Greek Gentile physician, is helping Paul out physically, Paul is helping him spiritually. Again, whether he leads him to Christ for the first time or he continues to invest into his life, Paul is pouring into Luke. How many of us, when we have a, a trial in our lives, we let that stop us from doing kingdom work? We let that hinder us from doing what God has called us to do. And we start to cry out, God, why, 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 All right? And it's okay to, to ask God to remove trials and to remove illnesses. Paul even asked three times that this thorn in the flesh would be removed from him. But he ended with, not my, your, your grace is sufficient in my weakness, right? It is sufficient in my weakness. And so he wouldn't let it hinder him from proclaiming the gospel. And so when he's going to the doctor, because he, he's, he's at the the depth of, of, of his physical health, he uses his opportunity to proclaim the gospel or to, again, a Gentile doctor. Amen. Do we let our trials lead us to mission? Or again, do we let trials hinder us from mission? In our physical weakness, 
God can use that to magnify His truth to others. And so, again, going back to Luke, Luke 1, 1 and 2, we see that, that Luke receives the gospel primarily through the ministry of Paul. In verse 3, we see that Luke follows the gospel, or he investigates the gospel. It also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first to what he says here, right? That he doesn't just receive the gospel, but he investigates it. The ESV says that he followed it for some time closely. How many of us is it easy just to come to church and, and just, just receive the word and just receive the gospel message? How, how many of us are, are we taking the time to investigate it? To, to see how it should take root in our hearts and, and to see how it should change us. Whether we've been a believer for five months or, or 50 years, the, the word of God should continue to be impacting us. As we, as we dig into it and as we investigate it, and as we investigate it, it, it begins to, to affect the way we think and the way we act and, and what we do and how we relate to one another and the world. Again, Luke doesn't just receive the gospel, but he follows the gospel. He investigates the gospel. And from the, the period of Acts 16, which was approximately 51 A.D., until he writes this gospel in 61 A.D., 10 years have passed, 10 years of him investigating the gospel, of being impacted by the gospel, before he writes this letter, this gospel of Luke. And again, we know that the gospel that saves us is the gospel that continues to keep us saved. And let it let us not move away from the gospel. I like in Romans, in Romans chapter 1, Paul says, your, your faith is being spoken of throughout the whole world. I mean, wouldn't we love that? To hear that in, in, in Chicago, your faith is being spoken of, and in, in, in Rome, your faith is being spoken of. But then down later in the chapter, Paul says, this is why I'm eager to come preach the gospel to you. Paul, what are you, you tripping here, right? It's like, Paul, what do you mean? Our, our faith is being spoken of throughout the whole world. You don't need to come preach the gospel to us. Go preach the gospel to somebody else who doesn't know it yet. I, I pray that, that we know that we need the gospel today as much as we did when we first believed. Amen. Right? That, that the gospel needs to continue to impact us, continue to influence us, continue to convict us, continue to lead us to see Jesus more clearly in our lives. So Luke receives the gospel, he investigates the gospel, uh, and then finally what I want to spend a, a good amount of time on is that Luke delivers the gospel. Again, Luke doesn't just keep it to himself, but he passes it on to others. In the same way that Paul didn't just keep it to himself, but he passed it on to others. He says in verse 3, it seemed good to me. It seemed good to me. It just made common sense that if, if, if God gave me this grace that is so undeserving and is free for anyone who would come, then I should pass it on to others, right? It just makes common sense. If someone's out in the parking lot and says, hey, I'm, I got a million dollars for whoever comes out to this parking lot, we're going to tell other people, hey, go outside, right, after service, make sure you get your million dollars, 
Unless, unless he says, hey, I got a million dollars just for three people, right? And then we're like being selective. We're looking around the service and we're thinking, okay, who do I really like in this group, right? So let me make sure my, my wife or my husband knows because then that's $2 million for us, right? Let me make sure, oh, my child, I'm going to tell my child, that's $3 million for our family, right? Somehow that's, that's how we view the gospel, I think, as believers, as, as though God is limited in how many people he would save. God, God, you would, you would never save that person. You would never save, save my crazy uncle. You would never save, you know, my neighbor who, who's an alcoholic. God, you would never do that. And so we keep the gospel to ourselves. Yet again, the gospel is, is free to everyone who would come, to everyone who would receive it. And so we need to live lives that, that it seems good to pass on this message. Amen. And so he said, it seemed good to me to write you an orderly, an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may have know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. So we can read this Gospel of Luke and think, man, you know, this is an amazing gospel account. There's all kinds of stories in here about Jesus Christ. And, and Luke, thank you for writing this for us to receive 2,000 years later. But let me tell you a little secret. That Luke didn't care about you reading it 2,000 years ago. Luke didn't know it was going to make scriptures. Who, who did Luke write this gospel account for? One individual. An individual by the name of Theophilus. Now in scriptures we don't know a whole lot about this Theophilus. He appears here and he appears in Acts chapter 1 again. We'll look at that in, in a second. But there's some clues here in verse 3 and 4 that, that, that let us know something about Theophilus. It's one is that he's given a title, most honorable Theophilus. I don't know about you, but I don't walk up to my brothers and sisters and, and say, your, your most honorable PJ. You might respect him with the title of pastor or whatever. That's, that's good, right? But most honorable is, is not a title that we just toss out to everybody. So, so who is Theophilus that he would be called most honorable? Or ESV says most excellent. Well, the same writer again, Luke, in, in the book of Acts, only gives his title to two other people. Most honorable Felix and most honorable Festus, two Roman officials, two Roman governing officials. And so I, 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 would, I would guess then that Theophilus was a Roman governing official. That would be my guess because, again, the Luke's same author uses it here and he uses it twice in the book of Acts. And in those times we know it, that's what it is. So he's, he's a, a Roman governing official most likely. And then verse 4, what else do we see about Theophilus? That he had been instructed in the ways of the Lord. He, he had maybe a believing mother, a believing grandmother. Maybe he had a believing neighbor. Maybe Luke was his, his childhood friend. And when Luke received the gospel, he, he continued to preach it to Theophilus. But Theophilus wasn't certain of it yet. How many of us know people like this? Again, this is what I was at age 12. I, I, I was someone who knew the word of God. I've been instructed in the ways of God, but I wasn't certain of it. We all have neighbors and co-workers and family, people who have been instructed in the ways of God. And, and, and are we willing to proclaim the gospel to them, continue to proclaim it until they receive it? Continue to labor for them, continue to pray with them. For them. 
And so even though Theophilus had heard the word of God before, he'd been instructed in the ways of the Lord, Luke didn't feel good about just washing his hands clean and, 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 and leaving it alone. So what does he do? He begins to write an orderly sequence. This letter that we know as the Gospel of Luke. How many chapters are in this book or this letter that we know of today? 24. Now, Luke didn't write in chapters and verses. We understand that. But it gives us a context of how long this was. If you flip through your Bible, see how many pages it is. It's about 25 to 30 pages, depending on the print size. 25 to 30 pages to write to one individual that he may know the certainty of the gospel, the certainty of the things that he had been taught. I don't know about you, but whenever I was in high school or college and they would ask me to write anything more than 15 pages, I would be really upset with the professor or the teacher. It was not, it was not fun. Especially back in the day, I'm 40, okay, I'm, I know I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm older, right? And so back in the day when I was in college, you had to go to the library, and you had to pull out the index uh, thingy drawers, right? And you have to look at the number, and then you have to walk and go find that book and pull it off, right? And, and write down all your notes, and now you just Google, and you just copy and paste, right? And, and it's a lot easier today. Uh, but even back then, again, Luke didn't even have that option of going to the library and finding all this stuff out. What did he have to do? Well, again, he, we know that he was following Paul for the last 15 years of his life. And so Paul was going from city to city, town to town, proclaiming the gospel. And, and as we know, Paul spent a lot of time in jail. So Luke probably had a lot of free time. You know, he, he couldn't really be with Paul, couldn't really care for him in the way that he wanted to. And so my assumption is that, again, Luke wasn't an eyewitness of, of the teachers of Jesus Christ. So how did he get all this content to write down in this letter? He was asking. He was investigating the truth. And he, he ran into, I'm guessing, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And it's crazy because Luke has the most detailed account of the birth of Jesus Christ with all the shepherds and the angels and so forth. How does he get this? He had to get it from someone who actually was there, someone who saw it. So my assumption that he probably sat down and interviewed Mary, the mother of Jesus. Maybe he interviewed the shepherds. Maybe he, he, he interviewed others who, 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 who were there. And so he's writing all these details down. And then later on, you know, maybe he runs into the, the person who was crippled. And he asks him questions. Okay, so tell me again what Jesus did. He just told you to pick up your mat and walk. And, 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 and you were able to pick up your mat and walk? Run to someone else. You, you were blind? Really? You were blind? Like, imagine Luke being a doctor, right? Being so amazed at all this stuff, right? Tell me what, what happened. So Jesus just, just put mud in your eyes? Like, you didn't feel weird about that? He put mud in your eyes and, and now you could see? And so Luke is writing all this down. He's interviewing people. Okay, so, so you, you were at the tomb first and, and you saw the tomb empty? What were you feeling at the time? This is how Luke gets this information. He, he studies, he researches, he learns. Now, why would, if Luke had a heart for Theophilus, you know what I would do? I would pass on the gospel of Matthew or Mark or John. I'm like, guys, come on, there's three other options here, Luke. Like, 
it would be a lot easier just to pass on, right? And I feel like that's sometimes how, how we approach the gospel is that we just, we just pass on the easy thing. We just do what's easy for us. Let me just give someone a track and then leave it at that. Let me just share the gospel with someone once and leave it at that. Let me just invite someone to church and leave it at that. And all those things are great things, but, but left alone, are they really sufficient? Again, Luke had to know the questions that Theophilus was asking. And he had to know that these questions he's asking is different than the audience that Matthew is writing to. And it's different than the audience that Mark was writing to. And it was different than the audience that, that John was writing to. These are unique questions that Theophilus is asking. And so let me, let me answer these questions in this letter. And so again, Luke takes all that he's researched, all that he's learned, all that he's studied, and, and he writes an orderly account for Theophilus so that he may be certain of the things that he has been taught. Again, for one individual. And how much are we willing to do for one individual? One neighbor. One co-worker. One family member. How much are we willing to do for them? Another question I would ask here. Is. Does Luke know what's going to happen? Is, is, is Luke guaranteed that if he does all this work, the office is going to come to Christ? And it's going to start becoming a worshiper of God? And I would say the answer would have to be no. <laughs> Just in the same way we don't know when we invest in someone's life and we study to answer their questions and we walk life with them and we pray for them over and over again for years and years and years, are they going to come to the gospel? Are they going to come to receive it? We, we don't know that. Only God knows but it doesn't stop the doesn't stop Luke because again Luke's heart was that the alphas may be certain of the things he had been taught. But Luke could the alphas could have received this letter. He could have sent a thank you note back to Luke. Thank you for passing this on. But I don't believe it. He could have received the letter and burned it. Never even read it. All Luke's work wasted. He could have received it, and as a Roman official, he could have had Luke put in jail. <laughs> Thank you, Luke, for giving me all the evidence I need. Go to the dungeon. We don't know. Luke didn't know what the outcome would be. But again, he, had, he understood that the gospel had been passed on to him he investigated closely himself, and he knew it was true, and so he couldn't help but pass this on to Theophilus, so that he again may be certain of the things he had been taught. So what happens to Theophilus? Turn to Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one, just verse one. I wrote the first narrative. Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. You notice something different about Theophilus' name? He's no longer most excellent Theophilus. Now he's just Theophilus. What changed? 
Or you could say maybe, maybe Luke just got to know him better in a more friendly way, so he didn't need the title anymore. Maybe you could say, well, Theophilus maybe got fired from his job, so he's, he's no longer most excellent. Or could it be that their relationship changed in the way that now they are brothers in Christ? Again, because of the title drop, and I would assume that, but then there's also a couple more reasons why I would assume that the office came to faith, came to be certain of the things that he'd been taught, is the content of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is probably not a book you're going to study with your unbelieving neighbor or coworker. Because the book of Acts is a discipleship book. The book of Acts is how now believers who have the Holy Spirit living within them should now live. And then in chapter 2, you, you, see, um, you see them give, selling their possessions and helping one another. You see them meeting in homes day to day. You see them going out proclaiming the gospel. You see Paul being persecuted, shipwrecked, and beaten, and, and on and on and on. The, the, the content of the book of Acts leads me to, to believe that Theophilus came to the faith. And Luke said, okay, it's not just good enough that he came to the faith now. Now I must grow him in the faith. It's not good just enough to check him off as, as another number that I led to Christ. Paul couldn't just say, or Luke couldn't just say, well, that's number 11 that I led to Christ this month and move on to number 12. But again, Luke does some more research and writes out another account. So that the office can now grow in faith and grow in community and grow in mission of how he should now live in Jesus Christ. The third reason I think that Theophilus became a believer is that we have the book of Acts today and the gospel of Luke today. Remember, this is not in the back of the day where you just click save on your laptop and, and, and that copy is now there. It's not that you could run to Kinko's or a copy shop and, and make copies of it and keep a copy filed away somewhere. When Luke would have wrote it, he would have wrote one copy. It's a personal letter to somebody. So how was it passed on from generation to generation other than Theophilus passing on to somebody? Theophilus would have received it, would have received the gospel in, in, in Luke and then received the second letter and been discipled and he would have passed it on to somebody else who passed it on to somebody else who passed it on to somebody else until 250 or so years later when a group of people got together to find out what books would be in the canon of scriptures they said let's keep Luke and Acts in there because the gospel was passed, was passed on to Luke it seemed good for Luke to pass the gospel on to Theophilus. And again, the question is, is if God appeared to you in a dream tonight, he spoke clearly to you, and he said, you know what, I'm going to give you 10 years. Study, research, write out a 30-page book, and I'm going to add it has a 67th book of the scriptures. Millions of people throughout history are going to read it. And they're going to come to Christ as a result. And they're going to grow in Christ as a result. That would not happen. But how many of us would jump on that opportunity and say, that is worthy of my time. 
that is worthy of my investment, that's worthy of the next 10 years of my life, so that, so that millions can be reached by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think a majority of us would say, I'm down, count me in. But how many of us would do that for one individual? For one person to potentially come to the faith? How many of us are willing to research and to investigate, to answer the questions that they have? My wife and I have been married for 17 years. I, w- I wish she was with me. Um, we usually travel together. Married 17 years ago, and, and we lived in a, in a one-bedroom apartment, and we were both involved in ministry uh, vocationally at the time. And I remember going to this ministry center where we reached uh, unchurched teens and children, and we led Bible studies and and sports activities, and we were in the high schools and so forth. And I remember one day coming home, and I was just thinking, day after day, I would, I would park my car and walk down the block into my apartment, and, and I walked past people, and it and convicted me. God, why, why do I see my ministry as being at that location and not everywhere I go? God, you have given me neighbors. You, 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 you caused me to walk past people every day, and God, aren't they as important as the people at the ministry location. So I decided I'm just going to start sparking up conversations. So there's this one guy. I stop him. I'm like, excuse me, uh, I'm Brian. I live right here. What's your name? He says, Craig. And I asked him some more questions and find out that, that he had been homeless uh, for the last few years. And he was about 40 years old at the time. I was 23, 24 and I started sharing the gospel with him, and, and he had grown up in the church. He, he knew the things of God, uh, but he wasn't walking in them. He, he wasn't following them. And so after a, a few weeks of, of seeing Craig over and over again and, and interact with him and getting to know his story more, and I realized that, uh, that he had been on drugs since he was in the military at the age of 18 or 19. 20 years of his life had been on drugs. And for the first 15 years, he was able to kind of manage it and, and still work and, and, and live a relatively normal life. Uh, but again, the last few years, it, it wrecked his life and uh, he had become homeless and couldn't hold down a job anymore. So I knew that the gospel was the only thing that could change Craig. And so I started inviting him over for dinner. I was like, why don't you come over on Wednesdays? My wife and I would be home, we'll cook a meal, come over, let's get into scriptures. That led into a few weeks of that happening. He would come every single week right on time. And we would dig through the Gospel of John. And I would answer questions that he would have. And there were some questions he asked that I didn't know the answer to. And so that week I would study those questions, to study the an- for the answers, to be ready for the next Wednesday. And eventually Craig started inviting other people with him. And, and, and soon there were six people around our dinner table, and my wife made made a little more food for them, and, and we would dig in scriptures and answer questions as best we could. And then God laid on our heart a crazy idea, a crazy idea. Why just once a week? Why don't you invite Craig to stay with you? And so 
probably a crazy idea. Like, you know, God gives a lot of crazy ideas to people, right? I mean, he, he speaks in a burning bush and tells Moses to go back to Egypt where he fled, you know, where he killed somebody. Um, so we're like, okay, well, this could be of God, right? Uh, and so we, so we invited Craig. He was twice our age, addicted to drugs for 20 years of his life, homeless, jobless. I had never been on drugs. I didn't know how to counsel someone out of drug addiction. But we knew that the gospel had saved our lives and that the gospel could save other lives as well. So Craig crashed on a couch. And every day now we're in the scriptures together. We're praying together and walking life together. I'm loving him in the same way that Paul Terry loved me years before. Six months into it, Craig disappears for a few days. And eventually we go out and looking for Craig. And we drive down the streets and keep an eye out for him. And when we see him on a corner and we... We get out of the car and we go to Craig. Craig, we, we love you. Come back home. And, and you could just tell just a shame in his, in, his, in his eyes as he looks down. says, I can't. You know, I've, 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 I'm sorry I've disgraced you. And we, we, now, Craig, we love you. Come back home. So he would come home. And three months later, he would go out again. And we went out and found him. Craig, come on home. Continue to love on him. Continue to preach the gospel to him. Continue to study scriptures to get together, continue to live life with him. A year and a half after him moving in with us, he disappears again for the third time. We go out looking for him. We can't find him this time. A few months later, we move to, to another neighborhood. We buy a house and we figure, okay, well, this is, this is it. God, we didn't know what would come out of this, but you commanded us to proclaim the gospel. You commanded us to make disciples. You commanded us to love. You commanded us to teach the word of God. And God, you are the one who's faithful. And God, you are the one whose spirit opens up eyes. And so God, you don't need us anymore. And so we continue to be devoted to praying for Craig regularly. Ten years passed. And we were still praying for Craig on a regular basis as God would bring them to our hearts. Look through our mail, and there's a letter from a Craig Smith. Like, this can't be Craig. We open up the letter, and it says, Brian and Heidi, I hope to see you guys. I have my daughter find you your address online. I've been drug-free for the past five years. I moved to a small town in Iowa, and I've been working a job, and and, and I've been, me and my, uh, I've been going to this church and been continuing to grow in Christ. And I'm getting married next month. And, and I, I want you guys to be there. Heidi and I called Craig up immediately. We're all crying. You know, God, you are so good, right? Your gospel has the power to save lives with or without us. Even with us out of the picture, God did his work. He took the seed that was planted and, and watered it. And cause it to grow. Heidi and I drove out to the wedding. And we see him and his wife walking down the aisle. He calls us now about every week. He's like, he just asks us questions after questions after questions. He he, he invited us to come to his house a couple weekends ago. And he said, "I, I just need you guys to invest in our marriage. And. He's 50-some years old now. And so we, we spent the weekend with him. 
and, and we went over scriptures and we shared the gospel over and over again and we prayed and we pointed them to Christ. Again, the reason why I share this story is because I think it shows clearly. Again, we are called to proclaim the gospel. We're called to love. We're called to pray. We're called to make disciples. And yet, we're never going to know the outcome of it. And God doesn't need us to finish the work either. He could take us out of the picture. But there's a coworker, There's a family member. There's a friend. There's, there's someone whom God has laid on your heart, I have to believe. Let us not grow weary in doing good. Amen. Who, who is our Theophilus? Who is our Craig? That God has brought into our lives to, to continue to persevere. Continue to share the gospel with. And, 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 and again, I can't guarantee you a, a, a happy ending story. But this is one thing I know. That the more we invest in others, the more that we die to ourselves, the more that God brings life to us. Amen. The more that He stretches us, the more we dig into the Scriptures, the more we become dependent on prayer, the more we, we understand the love of the Father and the pursuit of, of Him in our lives. God has a way of working in us as we fulfill His mission. Dear Father, we, we thank You. Uh, for your faithfulness. God, I thank you for Paul Terry, who, who, who saw a young 12-year-old who had some uncertainties of the gospel. And God gave up days and weekends for me. God sacrificed to love on me, to proclaim the gospel to share scriptures, to pray. And God, each one of us have a similar story, Lord God, of someone that you brought into our lives that imparted your grace to us. God, we pray that we might be people who investigate continuously, who continue to seek to grow in our understanding of you and your truths, Lord God so that it, we might pass it on to others. So God, lay on our heart who the Theophilus is for us. God, who the individual is that you have called us, Lord God, to pursue and not to give up on, to be faithful in proclaiming your truth. And God, we pray that people will be added to your church. How we read Acts, 3,000 added in one day. How can it be possible other than your people are passionate about the power of your gospel and dependent upon your spirit to move? And so, Lord God, we pray that dozens and hundreds will be added to the faith because of the faithfulness of your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.